Well, hey there, all you cats and kittens. We're back. Finally. I've been wanting to do this for a while. And finally, I had a little bit of time. I had a window. So we're back. As you heard, we have some sexy new intro music, courtesy of Kevin McLeod, I believe. I'm going to actually look that up and make sure we actually notate that in the outro correctly because we got it off Creative Commons, and I'm really paranoid. Like, they don't tell you this when it comes to, like, free podcast music, but, like, they're just like, oh, Creative Commons license. You must attribute. And it's like, it's a weird tick from college because, you know, in college, when you write papers, they're like, you can't plagiarize. Plagiarism will ruin your career and destroy you academically. So I have like a little bit of a twitch. So yes, in the outro, we will correctly attribute this. I also want to try and put it in the show notes. So it's front and center. We're attributing this creative commons license. It's really awesome. Believe it or not. I think the segment is called whiskey on the river. So it seemed appropriate as you know, I drink whiskey and do stuff. So I like that. Anyway, I'm flying solo tonight. Life is crazy. We're in a pandemic. We're all quarantined. So I'm going to keep this relatively brief because I have a special surprise for everybody. Um, At some point, I want to try and get the dynamic duo back together and do shows with Allie occasionally because I've been told repeatedly by many people that it's better when we do it together. So... We're going to try and do that. But in the meantime, I have books that I have written in the world. They're called The Prisoner and the Assassin and the Arrows of Defiance. That's the sequel to the first one. And then I've got a third book that I'm working on that's going to be called The Last President that's totally unrelated to the first two and will be a standalone volume with no sequel whatsoever because as I discovered, writing a sequel was a massive, massive pain in the ass. Um, But anyway... So I'm on draft to digital with all of those. And they're available at your ebook stores. Very, very, very well priced. They're both 99 cents. So if you need an ebook and you haven't read my books, please buy my books, read them. I would appreciate it greatly. But anyway, so because of that, with draft to digital, they have an option for creating an audiobook. Now I have student loans, three children, and I'm living in a pandemic, so I don't have a lot of disposable income to pay for a sexy narrator to do audio work, to create audiobooks for my books. But I have this microphone, I have this platform, and I have a lot of short fiction kicking around. So I'm going to probably be dropping semi-regular episodes where I kill off a bottle of whiskey and give you all a short story to listen to and then hopefully things will get back to normal and be less insane. And then hopefully Allie can join us and we can have other guests on the podcast and we can just have a thing, you know, cause it's fun. It's awesome. It's cool. I love doing this. I want to get good at it. I want to kind of do it on the regular and we haven't been doing that cause you know, life, life is crazy. But anyway, so That's the tentative plan for now. You can sort of, and I'm kind of, I don't really know how the audio is on this. So I'm kind of like moving back and forth away from the microphone, which is probably a bad idea. (sighs) So yeah. But anyway, tonight 
I have nursed Baby Blue from Balcones for as long as I can. And so tonight I am saying goodbye to this excellent Texas whiskey. It's made from roasted blue corn. If you are in Texas and you have not tried Balcones Baby Blue, go get some because it's good shit. I enjoyed every sip of this. And if one good thing maybe comes out of this mess, maybe Iowa will reform its liquor laws and open things up a bit so we can get more goodies here. Then I don't have to go to other states. So, yeah, that's what I'm killing off right now. Almost done. And then we'll have a little bridge, and y'all can enjoy your short story. It's about 20 minutes, nothing too crazy. It's called The Picture, and guess what? I totally forgot I wrote it. I was literally putting some links on my new subreddit. By the way, if you're a Reddit user, I am now at r backslash Blues. Please come join my subreddit, read my goodies. Do, doing a lot of fun stuff on Reddit these days just to kind of get more writing content out there and kind of be part of that writing prompts community and sort of build some networking and some friends there because it's, it's, I was kind of convinced by a coworker who's really, in, who was really into it at the time and it's proven to be pretty, a lot of fun. So I'm doing all kinds of fun stuff on Reddit and I was putting some short stories up there and I found this short story called the picture and I'm like, what the hell is this? And I clicked on it, and I'm like, I, I forgot about this. I found a story that I had completely forgotten writing. So I was like, well, shoot, I'll give this a go. I'll give this a practice. And so, yeah, so I, I gave it a go. I gave my narration talents a trial. So I, I really hope you like it. Um it's my first time doing sort of any sort of formal audio narration, so hopefully it isn't too rough around the edges. Hopefully I can figure out this microphone, get all the levels right. Hopefully the audio is good. If it's not, I'm sorry. But I'm going to finish my baby blue and let you listen to that. So hopefully you will be hearing from, from us again in the not-too-distant future. In the meantime, to your health. picture. Have you ever really looked at an orange? Oranges are weird, man. The room was empty, save for a table, two chairs, and what he presumed was a two-way mirror. It looked like exactly like every other interrogation room he had ever seen. All gray, black, dark. The light was a white globe spreading out across the center of the table. The orange he had was probably the only colorful thing in the room. He had his elbows propped on his knees and was holding a peeled orange segment of a small garbage can that had been in one corner of the room. Arden turned the orange segment over in his hand before breaking it in two and popping one half of it into his mouth. He looked at the interior of the remaining segment, little clusters of gelatinous-looking cells, each one of them, he knew, 
is filled with liquid. By themselves, and he knew this because he had just peeled he had peeled several of them off individually to attempt to taste them. They were just liquid. The other, however, he popped the other half of the orange into his mouth. Together, they were delicious. Kramer, back to the Dane question? Yes. Okay, then, Martin said, and peeled off another segment of the orange. Martin wasn't good at many things, but he was good at photography. In high school, he had stumbled into photography almost by accident, taking an art class to fulfill an elective requirement to graduate, and had immediately fallen in love with it. His senior year, he had joined the school newspaper and ended up winning an award for sports photography. His jobs in high school had given him money, which he had turned around and spent on cameras, lenses, tripods, and building the best computer he could so that he could install the best photo editing software money could buy on it. In college, he doubled down on his obsession. He joined the college newspaper and then soon afterward was working part-time as a stringer for the Metro newspaper. He went after a double major in journalism and art, completing both in three years before moving on to pursue a master's in fine arts for photography. This particular Saturday, Martin had nothing to complain about. His life was good, his prospects amazing, his girlfriend Eliza was beautiful. They were in love. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, and it was a perfect sunny day late in autumn as he drove south along the river valley to the big mega mall in the heart of the city. Eliza had one rule on these trips, which Martin was content to abide by. He couldn't bring his camera along. But Martin did have his phone, a new Google Pixel phone, with what the industry insisted was the best camera on any smartphone in the market. It suited his purposes just fine. They arrived, and soon enough began to walk together through the mall, hand in hand, Eliza planning out what she needed in her head, and Martin drinking in the place around them, trying to absorb the angles of the structure, the way the light streamed in through the window, the people, the angles. He was scanning constantly, trying to find the perfect photo or three. It was, Martin reflected, lucky that he had good walking shoes, because Eliza was keeping him busy today. Before he knew it, they were into the afternoon and had worked up quite the appetite. Babe, where do you want to eat? Martin blinked and shook himself out of his reverie. Eliza smiled up at him. Quit looking for photos for a second, would you? I'm hungry. You know what? Martin replied, so am I. Restaurant or food cart? Eliza wrinkled her nose and thought, cork of hers that Martin had always found to be adorable. We're closer to lunch than dinner. Maybe the food court? All right, Martin said. I'm game. I think we're pretty close to the one, the big one on the south side of the mall. Let's do it and hand in hand they headed in the direction of the food court. It was an easy enough walk to the food court, and they both decided to try the new Thai place that had set up shop in what Martin remembered as being a frozen yogurt stand, but Eliza insisted used to be a taco place. Martin went with a pad Thai, and Eliza went with the sweet chili chicken. The sweet chili proved spicier than Eliza expected, so she was taking her time with her plate of noodles. Martin finished his pad Thai quickly and found himself lost in thought again, glancing around the broad food court and drinking in the hustle and bustle of humanity around them. The light at the far end of the food court caught his eye. It was late in the afternoon and the sunlight was streaming through the room and a ray of light caught the far end of the food court. Martin wasn't sure what it was. Maybe the sun broke through a cloud in just the right way. Maybe it was a trick of the light. But there was a perfect sunbeam, isolated, dust particles dancing in it and catching the edge of the food court in just the right way. Martin couldn't resist. He grabbed his phone and took the picture without thinking about it. Eliza's fork was about halfway to her mouth as he slipped the phone back into his pocket. She arched an eyebrow at him. What are you doing? Taking a picture? Of what? Light, he nodded in the direction of the far end of the food court. It was coming over through it was coming through over there in a pretty cool way. Eliza smiled at him. You're a dork. 
I know, Warren replied, but you love me anyway, right? Yes, I do. He put the picture out of his mind after that. Eliza finished her noodles, and they cleared away their trays and walked hand in hand out of the food court and into the hustle and bustle of the mall. Eliza had just got a job as a new human resources intern in one of the big companies in the metro and wanted a few new outfits to give her a more professional look for the office. So they shopped. Martin, who had no patience for fashion and honestly thought Eliza would look beautiful dressed in a potato sack, played the part of the dutiful boyfriend. He held bags, he offered opinions, actual opinions, not just mechanical responses of a henpecked male. If he liked one color over another, he would say so. When Eliza tried on outfit after outfit, he would wait and try and disappear into a nearby corner or fade into the background like a chameleon and just watch the people and world unfold around him. He tried to see patterns and pictures and let it sink into his brain a bit as the hustle and bustle of humanity unfolded around him. Eventually, however, Eliza finished her shopping. Two outfits and two pairs of shoes later, they were done, and meandered their way through the mall hand in hand before heading to Martin's favorite place, the bookstore. They didn't make a habit of coming to the mall every weekend, but when they did, Martin always made it a point to park at the entrance closest to the bookstore, so it had become the natural ending point for their trips. They walked into the entrance and Martin sighed in pleasure, a smile spreading across his face. Eliza, bless her, gave his hand a squeeze and made her way toward the magazines. She would buy a couple and head for the coffee shop and let him wander a bit. Martin had not been raised in an especially religious household, but if he had a church, if he had a faith, it was in books and the people that loved and appreciated them. He loved bookstores. He loved libraries. He loved the tranquility, the smells, the ideas, the people. He did his best to open his mind, what Eliza liked to call his third eye, to the possibilities going on around him. He wandered to his usual haunts, science fiction and fantasy, then over to history, first the United States, then the world. Nonfiction and cultural studies give way to fiction. He would pause to take a book off of a random shelf now and again. He would hold it in his hands, maybe turn it over a few times, feeling the weight of it. He would open them, flip through the pages, and feel the smell and the soft scent of the book in his nostrils. He could spend hours here, alternating between watching the people and experiencing the books, but time intervened. After a brief stop at the checkout so Eliza could actually purchase her magazine, they walked across the atrium together and joined the medium-sized crowd waiting for the elevators to arrive. They were parked on the third floor, another habit that Martin seemed to have picked up since they always seemed to park there now. Think that anything? Eliza asked. Martin shrugged. Nothing on my eye today, he replied. There's a biography of Ansel Adams coming out in, an, in a couple months I'll probably snag, but everything else was just sort of meh. He shrugged. What about you? Tabloids were either ones I had read already or just boring, she said. Had to settle for an entertainment weekly. Any good music or movies coming out? Actually, yes, she replied. The elevator doors opened and they stepped inside, making their way to the back corner to allow the rest of the group to crowd in. Martin gave Eliza's hand a reassuring squeeze as she tensed up when the doors closed. Eliza didn't like enclosed spaces and tended to avoid elevators if she could, so Martin didn't say much, just tried to project, project love and comfort as best he could. Thankfully, the elevator ride was smooth and quick, and about half of the elevator got off at the second floor and no one else got on. Eliza relaxed a little bit for the rest of the way, and soon the doors opened and they were out onto the much quieter third floor. They took their time as they walked back to the car, chatting happily about anything and everything. They got in the car and made their way down out of the massive parking ramp and then waited patiently in the ever-present line of traffic leaving the mall, which was next to the ever-present line of traffic entering the mall. They got on the freeway easily enough after that and headed north back toward their loft apartment. About five minutes into their drive, they saw one fire truck, then two, then three, 
then ambulances and police cars all heading south with the lights and sirens blaring, heading back in the direction of the mall. When they got home, they rushed inside, turned on the television, and saw why. The bomb had been placed in the garbage can in one of the food courts and had exploded just after they left, which was about half past four in the afternoon, heading into the dinner hour. Not, Martin thought, that there was a good time for a bomb to go off anywhere in that mall. The place was always busy, always crowded, and always full of people. There was a reason the local police department had a substation dedicated to the entire complex. Neither of them got much accomplished for the rest of the night. First it was their parents. Yes, Mom, Eliza said. We're fine. We're absolutely fine. Not a scratch on us. She rolled her eyes and got up from the couch and walked into the kitchen. Seriously, Mom, we're fine. Then Martin's phone rang. Hi, Dad, he said. You're okay? Yeah, Martin replied. We were nowhere near the place when it went off. Good, his dad replied. Martin grabbed the remote and lowered the volume on the television. This is awful, Martin said. How's Mom taking it? She's uh, baking bread, I think. Martin smiled. So she's dealing with it? Yep. After the parents were done, they had the calls and the texts from family and friends scattered through, around the metro and throughout the country. They were both glued to their social media and sat in front of the television watching the awful news unfold in front of them. 10 dead, 20 dead, 30 dead. The avalanche of news came in waves, the death toll growing higher and higher before settling back down. 45 confirmed dead, over 300 wounded, nearly half, of, nearly over half of them critically. Neither Eliza nor Martin left the couch for the rest of that evening, and eventually both of them fell asleep there and slept soundly until Martin awoke with a start. He checked his phone. 2 a.m. The television was still on, its glow illuminating the living room. Eliza was asleep next to him, curled up at the end of the couch, her feet on his lap. Martin gently moved her feet off his lap and slid off the couch, being careful not to wake her. He stood up and, looking down at her, considered waking her for a moment, but decided against it. Eliza was hard to wake and looked like she was in a deep, deep sleep. He picked up the blanket they had draped over the back of the couch, and gently and with great care, he covered her up with the blanket. He leaned down, gave her a kiss on the forehead, then he straightened back up, turned off the television, and went back to their bedroom and to bed. It wasn't until about mid-morning that Martin finally got upstairs to take stock of the photographs he had managed to snap from the day before. Eliza had, after some persuasion on her part, sacrificed a large walk-in closet in their guest bedroom, and Martin had converted it into a studio of sorts. It wasn't a dark room that Martin dreamed about, but it was enough for a small desk and a computer. He plugged his phone in and then sat down and watched as his photo program opened up and captured all the photos he had taken on the day before and began to transfer them onto the computer. That was done. He clicked on the first one and began to cycle through them. There were 213, so Martin didn't dilly-dally. Keep, 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 delete, 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 keep, 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 delete, 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 keep, 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 wait. What was that? He clicked back. It was a picture he had taken at lunch in the food court. The light at the far end of the court was amazing. Perfect. Sunlight streaming in and forming a perfect beam. It was exactly what he had been aiming at. But what was that? More to the point. Who was that? He zoomed in. There. The man was wearing a simple black jacket, shaved head, dead-looking blue eyes, staring right at the camera while his hands... Martin felt a chill run through his entire body. He was pushing something into the garbage can. What it was wasn't exactly clear, but it could potentially be a bomb. Martin felt very calm. He didn't jump up, he didn't shout, he didn't run downstairs. He pushed back from the desk, stood up, and very calmly walked back downstairs to find Eliza. 
It had to be a coincidence. It couldn't possibly be related. Hey, honey, he called once he reached the bottom of the stairs. In here, Eliza called from the kitchen. Martin stepped into the kitchen. I was just making coffee, she said. Do you want some? Sure, Martin replied. He took a deep breath, unsure how to frame the question. Hey, hey, lover, did they say which food court the bomb went off at? Yeah, Eliza replied, the southwest one. Did they say which floor? Third, wasn't it? The one where we ate lunch? Martin went cold. Please tell me it wasn't the one we ate lunch at. Holy shit, I guess it was. Eliza said, why, what's up? Come look at this, Martin said. He grabbed Eliza by the hand and led her upstairs to his little office closet. He pushed her ahead of him. Sit down and let me show you this. Eliza did so, and Martin reached over her and grabbed the mouse. He clicked back a few pictures. Okay, he said. So I was checking the pictures I took yesterday, and all was well. And then I got to this picture. That was the one you took at lunch, Eliza said. You said you were aiming at the light. Looks like you hit your target. Be happy with it, Martin said. And then he moved the mouse over to the toolbar and found the zoom feature. I zoomed in and saw this. He clicked a few buttons on the program and selected the area he wanted to zoom in on. Eliza gasped. Martin, who is that? What is that? I don't know, he replied. What is he doing? Is that... I don't know. What the hell do we do? What do you think we should do? Eliza leaned back in the chair, lost in thought for a moment. No one's claimed responsibility yet. At least that's what the news said this morning. No one's claimed responsibility publicly, you mean, Martin said. They have to have some idea of who's behind this by now. They don't, Eliza said. Makes no sense. Every level of law enforcement in the country is going to be involved in this investigation, and, and the place is littered with cameras. They have to know something. No way this dude gets out of there without at least one camera catching him. But what if? Martin sighed. I'm going to the police station, aren't I? Yeah, Eliza said, you're probably right. It's probably nothing. But on the off chance it's not, I won't toss and turn at night thinking about it. Yeah, Eliza replied. All right, Martin said, let me turn it out and I'll go. It was about a 20-minute drive to their local police station, which gave Martin plenty of time to think about what he was going to say. He didn't want to come across like a crazy person because, let's face it, he was pretty much Mr. Random coming in off the street with what could be a crucial piece of evidence in a major terrorist attack. There weren't many ways to put that that wouldn't make him sound crazy. Maybe he should be direct about it. After all, he hadn't done anything wrong. He had been eating lunch with his girlfriend and taking a picture. He hadn't broken any laws. He hadn't done anything wrong. He just had a picture. Well, technically he had two pictures that he just needed to show to someone in charge. Hell, not even someone in charge. Just someone. Anyone. Just to make sure somebody knew. It was it his fault that a couple of hours after he and Eliza had left the place, someone had bombed the very food court they had eaten their lunch at? He couldn't be blamed for that, could he? No, he thought to himself. Eliza was right. It probably wouldn't matter, but you never know. Martin nodded to himself in satisfaction. That was probably the best way to approach this. He glanced over at his GPS. He was a couple of blocks away now, and he hoped that he was going to be able to find a parking space. But as it turned out, there was a small parking ramp. He turned into the ramp and started looking for a space. The place was busy. He ended up parking on the roof and made his way to the elevators and headed down to the Skyway level, second level, where, with some difficulty because it was not well signposted, he found the skywalk that led across to the main precinct. The police department proper was located on the second floor. People had to enter into the main lobby from street level, go through a security checkpoint, and then up the stairs to the main waiting area. 
Skyway, however, there was nothing so fancy. Just a metal detector and a bored-looking police officer sitting on a stool. Police officer stood as he approached and handed him a plastic pen. Metal goes in here, phone too, that envelope you've got as well. Martin took the bin, emptied his pockets, and placed their contents in the manila envelope he had slipped the two photos into, into the bin before handing it back to the officer, who in turn waved him through. The metal detector stayed silent, so apparently satisfied, the officer handed him the bin. There's your stuff, he grunted. I mean, the lobby's that way. Waved a hand in the general direction of the lobby. Thank you. Martin Wade made his way down the short hallway and joined the line for the main desk. It was a short line, so soon enough. Next, please. Hi. Outside behind the front desk looked tired. She was wearing a pale blue uniform that indicated she was a community service officer, which Martin guessed meant she wasn't a police officer, but he wasn't sure what the difference was. What can we do for you today? I have some information regarding the attack yesterday. You and every other person in the entire metro area, she replied in a resigned tone. Well, Martin said, it might be easier for me to show you. He placed the manila envelope he had tucked under his arm on the desk. He opened up the envelope and pulled out the first picture. My girlfriend and I went shopping yesterday and ate lunch at the food court where the bomb went off. Okay, the officer replied. So you picked a good time to have lunch. Yeah, so I took this picture. He ended the first photo to the officer. Very nice, she said, looking at it. You a photographer? Actually, I am, Martin said, and normally I would forget, develop this and forget about it, but I was running, running it through my photo editing software when I noticed this. He handed her the second photo. Whoa. Yeah. The officer handed the picture back to him. Go ahead and take a seat, she said. I'll send a detective down to talk to you. Martin nodded and headed over to the waiting area and sat down in a chair and began to wait. He was surprised to realize that he was nervous. Looks like he might have stumbled into something after all. I mean, they wouldn't send a detective out to talk to him over nothing, right? It had to mean something. It had to. Happily, he didn't have to wait long. Mr. Kramer? Martin glanced up and saw a stocky man dressed in a jacket and tie. I'm Detective Miller. If you could come with me, please. Okay, Martin said. He stood up and followed the detective who ushered him through a door and then down a long hallway to an interview room. The room looked like every room Martin had ever seen in every movie and television show ever. Simple table, single light, two chairs, big mirror at one end that Martin knew was a two-way mirror. Have a seat, Mr. Kramer, Martin said. I understand you have some evidence to show us. Yes, some pictures. Miller held up a hand. Before we get started, I should advise you it's standard procedure for us to let you know that you're not being detained at this time. We've got some questions for you, but you're free to leave at any time. Wait, Martin said, do I need a lawyer? If you want one, you can get one, but you're not being detained at this time. Martin thought about it for a moment. If he was being really smart about this, he would get a lawyer. It was going to be easier if he got it all over with. Well, I've got two pictures and nothing to hide, so I'll stay. Awesome, Detective Miller said. Can I send someone to get you something? Water? Coffee? Martin thought for a moment. You got any oranges kicking around here? Oh, probably, Detective Miller said. He glanced at the mirror. Can we get Mr. Kramer an orange? Came around the table and sat down opposite Martin. Now, he said, why don't you start at the beginning?
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Last Dram. You can find me on Twitter at Let City Blues, on Reddit at you backslash Let City Blues. I've got my own shiny new subreddit at r slash Let City Blues. Guess what? I blog over at LitCityBlues.com. We've got two books out there in the world, The Prisoner and the Assassin, and its sequel, The Arrows of Defiance, that are available at all major ebook retailers. I've got a third book coming. Hope you like it. Hope you enjoy it. I'll let you know when that's out as well. This has been a production of the Lit City Blues Podcast Network, which right now consists of me, this app, and my phone. Till next time, stay thirsty, drink whiskey, and enjoy a dram or two for your health. Our intro music is Whiskey on the Mississippi by Kevin McLeod. Got it off incompetech.filmmusic.io with a Creative Commons license 4.0. Um, and... Just to make sure we're attributing this properly, it's going to go in the show notes on our show page as well, just to cover our butts. I really hope I'm doing this right. I don't want to be ripping anybody off accidentally through ignorance. So there's that. In the meantime, keep safe, keep healthy. Hope you all are doing well out there. <laughs>